Hey, everybody, you're listening to Karen Disapproves. I'm your host, Chelsea Coons. I got to speak to a former polygamist, Sarah Eliason. Her story is interesting because she is part of or was part of a more modern polygamous group. Um, in contrast to last week, when we spoke to someone who was very much part of a very fundamental, uh, isolated group, this group, uh, the same group that the Browns from the show Sister Wives are a part of, um, it's more intermingled with mainstream society. It's They're kind of hard to pick out of the crowd. Um, so we're going to listen to what it was like um, keeping such a heavy, big secret while still being part of different social circles and being out in the community. What it was like for her mom to finally put her foot down and leave this faith. And then what it was also like for her to exit this faith. And just, um, she has so many stories and her story is very interesting. And um, I hope you enjoy it. Kevin disapproves. All right. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for um, agreeing to talk to me. Um, you have a really interesting story, and I think a different story than people think when they think of the FLDS church. Is that so? I guess I am uneducated. Um, I. Are you technically part of the FL or were you, were you, excuse me, were you technically part of the FLDS church? Um, Cause I know you were not part of Warren Jeff's group, but you were part of a, a different group. We always referred to the Warren Jeff's group as the FLDS. They, the group I was in didn't really want to be affiliated with him because of all of the arrest and everything else that happened with him no they they referred to themselves as the aub or apostolic united brethren because i think when people think of uh like people who are like uh, i don't even want mormon like from like the mormon polygamous offshoots they think of women in uh like pilgrim outfits with like high hair and aren't allowed to watch TV and are very isolated from society. And so I think that's what a lot of people tuning in right now are probably thinking, but that's was not your experience. And I think that people will be kind of surprised about your experience. Um, But you also, you also have a really interesting story and a very, obviously very different upbringing. (laughs) Yeah. It it is a little bit different than what you would think of. Yeah, with, with what you see in the media and stuff. Well, yeah. tell me about your involvement of growing up in this, um, like this a the AUB group. Um. Well, so my parents joined when they were pregnant with me, um, and shortly um, after I was born, um, my dad married his second wife. And did they tell you about the leap from? Uh, being in the mainstream Mormon church to the AUB uh, church? A little bit. Um, Most of the story, I guess the story I was told growing up is different than like what my mom will tell me now that she's like left as well. Um, But growing up, it was my dad met somebody um, in Provo, actually near BYU. who had several wives and was part of the AUB group. And he kind of introduced my dad to it. My dad kind of felt like it was the right thing to do. Um, And so he 
more or less convinced my mom to join in. Um, now that she's a little, now that she's left, she'll say more, you know, like I kind of felt like I didn't have a choice. I had two kids already. I was pregnant with a third. I didn't know what else to do. I didn't have a degree or a way to provide for myself. So I kind of felt like I had to just go with it. And what was, what was it like when your, um, when your dad took on a second wife, what was that like? I mean, you're so little, but does your mom have a, like stories of kind of what that maybe felt like emotionally or, or what um, the, even well, just when, the, the dynamics were like bringing on another wife? Yeah. When I was a kid, she always just kind of played it. I was like, we were all friends. Like, you know, your dad and her and me, we were friends. Like she's the one who watched my older brothers when my parents were in the hospital, you know, having me. Um, so she was already kind of involved with the family pretty much at that point, even though they weren't married yet. Um, so it was always kind of just displayed as we were, we were already good friends. So it wasn't a a big thing, I guess, mm-hmm. is how it was always, always portrayed to me. Wow. Um, now she kind of feels, I think, a little bit differently about it, or she tells me a little bit she differently. She probably feels like she can open up a little more now, because probably when you're in it, you feel like you kind of got to protect the practice a little bit, is what I would think. Yeah, I think that, and I think she also wanted to protect us kids, too, and mm-hmm. not treat her any differently, and I do think after a certain amount of time, I do genuinely think they were good friends after a while, because you kind of share some things in that. And so I think they were friends to an extent. And so was she sort of assigned to him? Was it arranged or did they, how did that meeting happen with your second mom? Um, It was not arranged because she was not originally part of that group either. She was, I think, Catholic. Um, Oh, that's that was kind of, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's like way out there. I'm pretty sure they met, my dad and her met at work, I want to say, um, or through work somehow. And um, the way my mom always said it was like, the man could kind of say, well, I have a revelation or whatever to marry this woman. And most, some men will say like, ask permission, like, is it okay if I marry this second woman or whatever hmm. so it was always portrayed that she, he kind of asked if my mom was okay with that but I think at that point when he asked they were already hanging out all together mm-hmm. frequently and stuff um, and she probably knew it was coming she probably understood that mm-hmm. that was like the expectation of being in the in the church maybe yeah I think so because I know there was somebody else at some point I don't know how old I was because I only heard this story now that I'm older but there was at some point where my dad asked both the wives my mom and the other one who like to marry some other girl and they both were like no whoever she was I don't know they just were not okay with oh, okay so they had marriage. some boundaries of of we all need to agree upon who's coming into our home so and I do know because my mom has said now again that like some men will be like well I have the revelation anyway and I'm going to do it anyway mm-hmm. but Fortunately, my dad didn't do that with this girl. And I guess the story is a little bit like 
the girl's dad was dying and she was only like 17. Mm. And so I guess he portrayed it to them more of like, I want to ask his permission to marry his daughter before he passes away, but I won't do it until she's of age kind of thing. Sure. But both of my moms were not they weren't having it. They weren't having no. it. Okay. So there was like a, a little bit of a sisterhood then anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think what? there was. What dynamic did you see in the home between just like, did they both, did they both work outside of the home? Did one stay at home? How, how does, cause I know, I mean, two kind of two families in one, I mean, that's like a, how many, uh, how many siblings total were there eventually or how many kids? So there's only eight, which is fairly small for yeah. families yeah. because actually my other mom was unable to ever have kids. She oh, okay. wasn't able to so because that they, they were all biological siblings okay. um so my mom stayed home with us and then the other mom she she lived with us until we were about till I was about five I think and then she moved to an apartment just because the house was getting crowded and she had a job and went to work every mm-hmm. every day and that sort of thing so and she moved in next next door to you guys no she actually lived fairly like probably 25 30 minutes away which is kind of different because most polygamous families will either buy houses like on the same mm-hmm. block or they'll all live in one gigantic house um and then what what, what was your dad like because someone who I, someone who's like maybe attracted to that way of life is there does it attract a certain personality or was I mean was he like more authoritarian was he kind of laid back what was his personality like growing up um definitely authoritarian 100 percent um definitely like pretty narcissistic which I didn't see when I was a kid obviously but now that I'm an adult I'm like you're ridiculous Mm -hmm. but um yeah very authoritarian he also just was very he very much wanted to like portray like I have this big family and I have all these kids and they're all great and well behaved and my wife homeschools them and does all this great stuff but he didn't really want to be a part of it much right he would spend most of the time at my other mom's house because it was quieter was your mom a little bit more submissive then is, I'm assuming yeah I think she still kind of had like a more authoritarian like parenting style towards okay. us kids but I think with him mm-hmm. 100% I think she was submissive I think she tried sometimes to fight things like she did not want to homeschool us and so we went like back and forth like I went to school for first grade and fifth and sixth grade and then ninth and up so those other years I was homeschooled because my mom would really push it for us to go to school because she really wanted us to have the social interaction and And probably um, a little bit of a break from eight kids (laughs) (laughs) well that too yeah well and once we got to the high school age she was like I I can't teach them anymore. Like, I don't know this stuff. I don't know how to teach them calculus. I don't know how, like, they have to go to school because I can't do, I literally cannot. My (laughs) mom tried to homeschool us, all 10 of us. (laughs) (laughs) It it didn't happen. There was like a learning gap in my, (laughs) sorry, mom. Uh, There was like a little (laughs) bit of a learning gap in what was in middle school for me. But Yeah. yeah, she really tried her best. But I mean, schooling 10 kids. I cannot imagine. I try to just, 
like even try to read with one of my kids and <laughs> it's just like pulling teeth trying to do it. And yeah, it's hard. When, when you were, I guess in your upbringing, were you pretty devout? Did you like believe in all of it? Did you, how did you feel about all the things you were being taught? I, yeah, I believed it 100% mm-hmm. because that's what every, everything I was taught. And I yeah. believed it until, you know, I was about 15. But I mean, even into my early teenage years, mm-hmm. I still went to church. I did the church activities. I, you know, did whatever yeah. I was supposed to be doing. Um, yeah, I always, I was very, yeah very much involved in it. And are you aware of maybe some of the different dynamics between the AUB and the FLDS church or just like some of the rules, just some of the differences? Are you, um, could you like maybe tell us maybe about some of the differences if you're even aware? I don't know. Yeah, I think some of the differences like wardrobe is kind of a big one. Obviously they wear the pioneer dresses and, and the hair. Um, whereas my parents still wore like garments under their clothes and they were like long sleeves all the time. Oh, but you guys. Didn't... Okay. Sorry. They did the yeah. long, like they were the long sleeve garments or were they mm-hmm. kind of how the mainstream LDS church does it with like the cap sleeves and the shorts, like the short garments, like to their knees. No, it was long sleeve garments, like all the way to their wrists and to their ankles. So they always wore long sleeve clothing. So it wasn't pioneer dresses necessarily, but it was always, always, always long sleeve everything. So that was one, I mean, difference in wardrobe at least. Um, And did kids, did you wear that also? um, I guess I I know, I mean, rumor has it that sometimes children, at least in the FLDS, would wear some kind of thing underneath their clothing. Would kids do it as well in the AUB? So we wouldn't wear any garments or anything. We had to, we, we were allowed to wear like short sleeve shirts Mm -hmm. um, and stuff like that. But it, it definitely depended on the parents because I knew girls who like, I went to like the similar to young women's classes with um, Mm -hmm. had to wear their parents made them wear the long sleeve all the time. So it kind of depended on the parents. My parents didn't, force us to wear the long sleeves all the time we still had to have a decent sleeve on our shirt but it wasn't yeah didn't have to be long well and even just me growing up mormon same it, we always were to dress as if we were wearing garments that was sort right. of the rule and i know a lot of my friends who are pretty came from devout like pioneer uh mormon households same they'd wear like the cap sleeve and the board shorts you know to the knees and you know <laughs> Yeah. And then swimming, yeah. it was always a one piece bathing suits. My parents didn't even like us wearing bikinis because you can mm-hmm. see a little strip around the belly or it might come up on the back. When you went, you finally ended up in May, in, in um, public school, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then what was that experience like? Were you allowed to talk about um, that you were part of AUB? Were you allowed to talk about your life? Like what parts could you talk about and couldn't you talk about with secular people um well I couldn't I wasn't supposed to talk about it at all I was not I was told not to say anything about that at all like I could say I went to church on Sunday or whatever but I always had to refer to my other mom as like my aunt Mm -hmm. um 
So it was always kind of weird because people would ask because I kind of fit the Mormon mold pretty well because we dressed similar. We didn't drink caffeine. We, you know, some of those things we, we didn't, we, I fit fairly well. So they'd be like, are you Mormon? Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, no. And then they're like, what are you? And then that's where it'd be like, uh, so my mom told me when I was pretty young, she told me to just say I'm Christian. So that's what, that was just like my go-to answer. Um, I did tell in fifth grade, I want to say, I did tell like my two closest friends because I just wanted to tell somebody I wasn't supposed to. Um, Yeah, they're your closest friends too. So you do feel, I'm sure at some point, comfortable enough that you want to be able, were they coming to your home? Were they allowed to come to your house or anything? Do play dates or what kids do, hang out? Occasionally we'd have, I'd have friends over, but not very often. More often, like I would go to a friend's house versus them coming to our house because I feel like my parents just didn't really want people there. Even though it wasn't blatantly obvious by walking in the house that we were polygamous because the other mom wasn't there uh, most of the time. And so, I mean, I don't know why they just didn't really like people over. So very rarely I'd have somebody at, at our house. I would go occasionally to other people's houses to hang out and stuff okay. like normal kids would. And the reason people want to go there often to, to relate it all back to just kind of kind of some of the secrecy you needed to have around your religion and your upbringing? I think so. And I think it kind of got to a point for my mom and I could be wrong, but I feel like she kind of got to a point where she was so secluded mm-hmm. because she was just with her kids all day and she didn't have much of a life outside of the kids in church, but she just didn't really want anybody else there. Mm-hmm. Like it just, just felt awkward and uncomfortable. So I yeah. think it was more so not necessarily related directly to the church. I think mm-hmm. it was more related to the seclusion. Like we were just mm-hmm. used to being secluded. So just yeah. keep it that way. Yeah. And, and she probably had some social anxiety is what it sounds like. So, you know, after so long, like you said, of being secluded, her social anxiety was probably kicked up quite a bit. Yeah, I think so. Did you feel like you had social anxiety growing up just because of being in that environment where? Yeah, I think I noticed this a lot in like high school and I even noticed it and have noticed it as an adult. Like I sometimes get very flustered when like there's a large group of people and I get like asked Mm -hmm. a question. and like, I can feel my face get like red hot and stuff. And like, I mm-hmm. just get very like all out of sorts because I'm just not used to like that larger group. And I still don't like large groups. Like I, mm-hmm. if I go to a party where there's more than like three or four people, I just, I don't really talk. I just sit there and you get quiet quietly. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't know how to like even interject myself into the conversation or anything. Yeah. So I just, and so I always feel a little awkward in those situations. If I'm in a group of only three to four people, I'm usually okay. But anything bigger than that, it's like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Too many. What about your siblings? Do they feel the same way? Do they get um, that social anxiety also? I think it depends on the siblings. Some of them, definitely. And some of my brothers are just way more social. I don't know how they mm-hmm. got that gene. They just, yeah. Um, but I definitely think like all of us to an extent have some sort of anxiety um, from all of that. And I feel like 
even if they won't admit it, most of my siblings have some sort of mental health mm-hmm. issue going on that really could use some help. But yeah, but I think mental health, even in that group too, was very, very like taboo. You didn't really talk about it. You didn't do anything about it. Um, my younger brother, one of my younger brothers had like extreme separation anxiety from my mom when I was mm. younger. I mean, he was probably four or five and she would go to the store and he would scream like the whole time she was gone, like full on freak out, panic attack, scream. Um, and I, my mom has told me now, like she wanted to try and get him help and get him on medication and stuff. And my dad told her no. So Mm. things like that, like it just wasn't, none of that was ever taken care of. And so even like most of us, I feel like, like the mental health issues are very well hidden. You can hide them fairly easily, but like Mm. he definitely has that. And one of my other brothers has stuff too, that I feel like never was taken care of because it was taboo to do so. Do you think part of it was that there was like this fear of authority a little bit of, because there was this secrecy that had to be around your upbringing um, and seeing doctors sort of exposed a little bit of that and being medicated kind of gave up a little bit of control to some degree. Does that make sense? Do you think, am I on to something? Yeah, I think, I think that's definitely part of it um, because yeah, doctors ask questions. Um, like they should. Um, Mm -hmm. I also think a lot of it too, especially from my dad's perspective was like, if it's a legitimate problem, then God will fix it. Like, let's just pray about it and God Mm -hmm. will fix it. Mm -hmm. Like, and I mean, that was the same way when my other mom, because she passed away when I was 15, like when she had cancer, it was God will fix it. Like that, that's it. Like, really? So she, so yeah, that kind of leads me to my next, some of my questions about her passing. So, so when she passed, was she not doing any kind of chemo or any sort of, um, getting any treatments? So she was getting some, and it was all very, like us kids really had no idea. We had some clue of what was going on. Like we were told that she was sick, but she was definitely going to get better. Like 100% she was going to get better. Um, obviously she did not um she did do chemo because that's why they told us because she you know lost her hair and she wore wigs and stuff um but what I've been told now after the fact just actually a couple years ago um my mom told me that my dad wouldn't even let her get um the mastectomy Mm -hmm. because then she would no longer be a whole woman and that like could have meant like you know if she were able to have kids maybe if God healed her and she was able to have kids like she wouldn't have her breasts anymore and like that would Mm -hmm. be a problem and so like she wasn't she didn't get that because my dad wouldn't allow her to do that Mm -hmm. um and so I do think like from a medical standpoint it's like a mastectomy which was like clearly medically necessary yes was like that because yeah breast cancer Mm mm-hmm yeah it makes me think that smaller things when he kind of had the same mindset like god will just fix it sure i mean and that's that's huge getting mastectomy that's uh that's huge and 
to not allow that because I mean, it kind of, it's a little bit of a tell into one kind of the men calling the shots. Did you feel that way? Was, is that accurate? The men were just kind of used to calling the shots in that culture, in that yes. environment. 100%. Calling the way. shots, putting, put, turning everything over to, to God. And then also, it also is a tell into what women, what women are valued for. Mm-hmm. And it's the, just, that's just the fact that they can bear children. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it's just sad. Yeah. Did you feel that growing up? Did you feel like you were like, that was your duty as, uh, as a woman that you, that sort of was your purpose that you, you were, or that that's all that you were kind of useful for. Did it make you feel yeah. that way? Or did you have a healthier outlook on it? I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to put that story <laughs> in your mouth. I'm just kind of hypothesizing here. No, I, yeah, I definitely felt that way. I thought, you know, I'm going to grow up, have kids, be a stay at home mom. Like that was 100% my narrative. I mean, it was expected of me to do housework all the time. I mean, I remember like when my parents would occasionally go out of town, even I would have like panic attacks because as the oldest girl, I knew everything fell on me. Like I knew that. And so before they would leave, I would like have meltdowns because I'm like, I can't, I'm 12 years old, 13 years old. And now I know that it's going to like, those things were already being placed on me at that age. Um, But I definitely always thought that that's what I would do. And then I've, I've been kind of shocked, like since I've had my own child and like, I'm a teacher. So I summers off, like how difficult it is for me in the summers to just be home with my child like Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong I love her to pieces but like like I kind of miss having that thing that I do for myself that I enjoy you know yes so yeah I was shocked that I didn't enjoy staying home for those two three months as much as I thought I would because I I always thought that that's what I wanted because Mm -hmm. I guess I was always told that I wanted yeah and that's I mean that's very in a lot of ways, very similar to, to my upbringing. Obviously we share some of the similar backgrounds and the similar teachings where women, we have kids and we are stay at home moms and we have a lot of kids. <laughs> my mom had yes. 10 biological children and she, and then she adopted three more. So like, that was the dude. I love my mom. I love you mom so much. I just, you know, but just is my part of all part of my story, but a fantastic mom, but that is what was very much ingrained into us was that example of you have children and they are 100, 100% your life. And you probably saw that with your own mom, how she didn't, doesn't sound like she had, she was very secluded, very isolated. Didn't seem like, sound like she had friendships and it sounds like her children were 100% her life. Mm-hmm. They definitely were. Yeah. And did you see that as your future also? Like that was, you were going to also follow, have as many kids as possible and then kind of follow the similar thing where they're 100% yours, you, you know. Yeah, I, I definitely thought that. My mom always said, and she was very adamant about this, and I think it was because of her situation. She always said, a man is not a plan. Get yourself a degree at least before you start having kids. Um. So I was oh, like, well, I be a progressive. 
That sounds progressive. (laughs) (laughs) She's awesome. Like for as much crap as she put up with, with my dad for all those years, like she, I think she tried very hard to help us be as normal as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, She also had an upbringing of where she was from sort of like mainstream society to a degree. I mean, she was still brought up with, you know, like, the Mormon teachings and everything, but for the most part, they assimilate pretty well, you know, into just regular society. I always felt somewhat, somewhat normal, but a little bit weird growing up, you know, <laughs> but a yeah. little bit weird, but like it could fit in like physically for the most part in most situations. But so, right. but she, so she had that exposure anyway. And so she, it sounds like she kind of carried a little bit of that with her and, and passed it down to you guys. Yeah, I definitely think she did. And I think part of it is she didn't want us to end up in the same position she was in, which I mean, really panned out for me because I mean, I left my first husband and I had a job and I could provide for myself because it's not a plan. And I had my degree. There we go. A man is not a plan. Do you hear that, ladies? (laughs) Sorry, hubby. (laughs) Because I'm in the other room like... (laughs) <laughs> I mean my current <laughs> husband knows that though <laughs> it doesn't matter how much you love them it could work out you could spend 60 years with each other but you never want to be in the position of if it doesn't pan out then you don't have any resources or you know what I mean and, and it sounds like you do obviously because you a man is not a plan. Yeah, that was ingrained into you. That's so, you guys are so progressive. I kind of like it. <laughs> Your mom well, sounds she's... fantastic. Oh, she's awesome. Mm. For everything that she went through, she's awesome. But yeah, yeah a man is not a plan. Yeah. It's been the thing. Well, and I feel like, I still feel like that. And I tell my husband too, I'm like, mm-hmm. you never know what could happen. Like you could get in a car wreck and I could be left tomorrow with no husband. Like, I really hope that never happens. Yeah. But I will. You want to make sure I can take care of myself and my sure. Like you want to be. And then also I think like you said, your mom felt really isolated and I'm assuming she wasn't working out of the home or that can feel, I only have three children. And if I don't have other endeavors or other things that I am doing outside my children, I start to feel like just run completely raw and I lose touch with myself. And so I think that just having something that you love and that you're passionate, no matter what, even if your husband is the main provider of the family, if you, you need to have something that keeps you in touch with your identity or who you are to like pursue or to be passionate about. Yes, I 100% agree because yeah, she was secluded. And I think, I think she was definitely like, I definitely she was depressed like 100% and it's been really great now because she's she's been divorced for just over two years I think Mm -hmm. and like we've just seen like all of us kids because we'll talk about it behind her back but we're like Mm -hmm. we've just seen but we've seen like the progress in her like she is so much happier now Mm. and she's doing things for her and yes providing for herself and like she got like this is like the most silly thing but like she never had like a nice washer and dryer. She always had used crappy mm-hmm. ones, like whatever. And she like finally bought her first like brand new washer and dryer. And oh. she was like ecstatic. And so like things like that, like it's just great to see that 
she's improved so much. Oh, that's, that is, that's an awesome, that's an awesome story. So she, so she left, did she leave the church two years ago or she left your dad two years ago? She left my dad two years ago. She stopped attending the AUB. I want to say around the same time I did, I think it kind of, when my other mom passed away, it, it kind of faded off. Um, she told me, and I can't remember what it was. Somebody said something over the pulpit at church that she was just like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, this mm-hmm. is ridiculous. And I don't, she told me what it was, but I don't remember now. Um, so she kind of stopped attending um, and slowly like stopped wearing the long sleeve clothes oh, okay. and all of that. Um, and then it was actually, she had to get, and this could be pure coincidence, but I don't think it is. She had to get a hysterectomy mm-hmm. because all of my aunts and my grandma have all had them because of uterine cancer. So she, mm-hmm. it was her turn. It was her turn to get it done. And shortly after, like within a couple months is when my dad was like, well, if you're not going to, you know, come back to this group and if you're not going to allow me to marry other women, then like I'm done kind of thing. So hard. She can't produce anymore. And Mm -hmm. so it's like her worth to, in his eyes has probably diminished. She can't give him babies. That's like her purpose. Right. And even though she was too old to have babies anyway, most likely it's still like the idea of if God really wanted it to happen, it could still happen if it needed to. But he let her go ahead with it. He didn't discourage her um, removing it. Um, not really. Not that it. Not that it appeared outwardly. At least if he said things to her that we didn't hear, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But it seemed like he kind of went with it. But it was also like he wasn't. He wasn't around a lot because after my other mom died, I mean, he already spent most of his time at her apartment, and after she died. He just started spending most of the time at his office, supposedly. So mm-hmm. like most nights he'd stay there. He built himself a shower in his office and had a futon and stuff. So he still wasn't even around. So yeah. my mom probably just arranged for it and just went for it without, she kind of, I think at that point, stopped asking permission. So, so he wanted all the kids, but not really the responsibility. He kind of was like, hey, I'm doing the Lord's work. I got all these people passing on down my name. But I'm, I'll uh, work a little bit, but I'm going to be hanging out at my office. Uh, not, I don't want to be around the chaos at all. The yeah, normal things exactly. that come with parenting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like he would, I mean, he did to an extent, he did provide money and stuff like that. I mean, he did do that, but he didn't want to do any, yeah, any of the normal parenting things that wow. he should have. Well, I'm so glad that your mom went through with the surgery and, um, that it also kind of helped propel her into a happier life eventually, you know, so what was it like in that for your mom in that span of time where she wasn't attending, but she was still living in the home with your dad and raising, were you guys still attending church or, or was she just, did she just stop and everybody else continued to go? Um, she stopped. And so most of the kids stop um because we would go with her if he wasn't home to take us then oh so he wasn't even going to take us you guys well he was going 
but he wouldn't necessarily come and pick us up for it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he. So we all kind of stopped going at that same point as well. Um, and then we started to see, and again, this is well, she started following her own advice, and we started to see her like really pushing to like go back to school. And so she yes. did. She went back mm-hmm. and started working on like a degree and all that. And I mean, my dad pushed back a ton on it. Like he did not want to help. Yeah, he didn't want to help her pay tuition or for books or for anything because well, he didn't want her to do anything outside of what yeah. he wanted her to do. And he but, probably saw the writing on the walls too. <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, well, and we were getting to that point. Like I was still in high school, but like my sister and I were only 18 months apart and we started like having discussions. Like, do you think she's doing this so she can like get out? Like we were having these conversations because we were suspicious. Um, how did, how did you I, feel thinking that she, cause I'm sure you have a lot of mixed emotions when it comes to your dad since he was kind of not around a lot. Um, so how did that feel when you're like, is she, do you think she's trying to leave him? Do you, was it kind of, you're like excited for her or were you, or was that like scary for you guys or sad? It was exciting for us older kids. Mm-hmm. I think it has been, and it was really hard on, some of my younger siblings because like I said my youngest siblings are 18 so they were still a bit younger when all of this started happening and kind of moving forward so they had a much harder time with it than us older kids the rest of us older kids were like yeah go mom mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we yeah adjusted and I think we've kind of gotten to the point where we're like he's not gonna be there for us when you know we need it um, he's only going to be there if it makes him look better. Um, so we've kind of like, we had all kind of accepted that at that point, the younger siblings really hadn't. Yeah. And so I think, and you I just think were more aware something. you had lived through the experience and you kind of had different expectations probably for your dad at that point. Yeah. And well, I'm sure you had seen your mom probably seeming depressed or seeming lonely, you know? Yeah. And I mean, we could just, you can just tell, you know, when somebody isn't happy and he wouldn't ever, or would rarely come home. And we were just like, Mm -hmm. this isn't, we were smart enough to know that that wasn't how it should be. Right. And up until this point, did you see yourself, um, having a, a, a husband and a sister wife or two? Yeah, I think I saw myself doing that up until I was probably 14, 15. Yeah. Um, was that I an had, exciting thought for you or was that a terrifying thought? I know so, no. an out, outsider looking in, I'd be like, ah, and I'm sure maybe you even at this point think the same thing, but uh, that is a kid being raised as that's what happens. Was it just like a positive thing that was going to be happening in your life? Yeah. I mean, it was always portrayed as like a built-in best friend, like, it's great kind of thing. And so, and it was always definitely in all like the classes that we would do with just the girls and stuff, like this is what you're meant to do. Like you might feel a little bit nervous when you get to that point, but you'll be fine mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so I don't know that I felt any super particular part away about it. I know that I kind of always wanted to be the first one because I always got the vibe from a couple different families that we spent a lot of time with that the first one was kind of the 
favorite, more or less. Wasn't mm-hmm. that way with my dad, but a lot of them were. So I always kind of knew, like, I wanted to be the original. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You wanted well, to be wife the, one. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's the only one that's technically legally married, too. Oh, okay. The rest of them aren't legally because you can't. It's against the law. Yeah. So the rest of them are only married through the church records and stuff. Mm-hmm. Kind of similar mm-hmm. to, like, a temple ceiling in the Mormon church. So they're all married that way but legally with the state they're not yeah and so I also wanted to be the one with the legal marriage sure you wanted your kids to have um health insurance <laughs> <laughs> yeah minor some yeah some important <laughs> important yeah but really minor really really minor <laughs> so yeah. okay so your mom's your mom's sort of transitioning out mm-hmm. and is this so and then you're also in public school and is this kind of the point where you also are starting to question everything yeah I mean at that point I was 15 and I that's when I started dating and I wasn't supposed to so I was bad but um because similar to the Mormon church we weren't supposed to do serious dating until we were 18 we could go on like group dates when we were 16 that kind of thing and that was just the rule my mom but not everybody believes that way in the UB but my Mm -hmm. mom again I think she really pushed for things to be semi-normal for us yeah Um, she probably didn't want you like like you said she wanted you to get your education and so putting those rules in place of not getting serious with anybody would kind of help facilitate that maybe yeah so I started dating somebody and I was like I just remember feeling like how like I couldn't imagine sharing this person with anybody else like that just blows my mind yeah and this person was he um like I don't know was he secular was he he I'm assuming he was not from your church no I I mean I went to high school with him he's Mormon okay so, and did he know that you were part of the AUB? Nope. I don't think he ever knew. Really? You just said you're a Christian. Yeah. Wow. How long did you for? It was like on and off, you know, how high school is for like yeah. a year-ish. Okay. But it was, it was rocky because when my parents found out, they were very upset and like tried to force us to break up. Oh. And then we went on in secret, which doesn't help any situation but <laughs> no <laughs> so then he wasn't coming over he wasn't meeting the parents or anything no he never he never did and so yeah I don't know so but was, you were in love or in like or, <laughs> and you I thought I was in love yeah <laughs> yeah we all do at that age right <laughs> especially yeah. first love our first love is first cut is the deepest anyway yep. so yeah there you go <laughs> so you never told him but you were just like I can't imagine sharing it with anybody hold up maybe that's a sign of that maybe I need to look into AUB a little bit more. Yeah. I think that was like the first step. And that was my sophomore year. And I didn't tell anybody that year. And that was kind of weird because that was the year that my other mom died. And I just told everybody it was my aunt. Mm-hmm. And so that was like a whole different amount of emotions because I couldn't tell anybody the truth. Um, 
I definitely want, okay. I definitely want to talk about this. Okay. Well, let's, yeah, let's talk about this before I agree. I'm a little ADHD. Okay. So okay. we're going to go back because we were actually, we're talking about your other mom and her passing. Mm-hmm. So she passed away. You're about 15, right? At this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure you had people and teachers asking you why you're taking time off. Um, and what, what would you tell people? Or what I, would you tell people when you would visit the hospital? So we, I, at school, it was, it's just, she's my aunt, my aunt passed away. Um, and that was really hard. Like, I remember one of my teachers, it was my Spanish teacher, actually, she asked me, she was like, oh, I'm sorry, did she have any kids? And I had to say no. But in my head, I was like, yeah, me, like, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't say that. And we had a very good relationship with her. And so it was, it was hard and it was shocking because again, my dad didn't tell us really that it was going to happen. It just, it felt like it happened mm-hmm. overnight almost. Um, and then when we went to go see her in the hospital, that was also super weird because we again had to say she was our aunt, but the people at the hospital knew that my dad was her husband. And so then we couldn't call my dad, dad. We had to call oh. him uncle because yeah. then it would give away the dynamic. And so that was like super, I mean, it was just weird because we couldn't, we still couldn't even say the truth and she's on her deathbed and we can't even mm-hmm. acknowledge her for, for who she was to us. Um, was that, pain, was that just, just that alone? Was that painful? Just, just not being able to acknowledge her. Yeah, it was, it was awful. I it was miserable. They did end up moving her home to kind of just live out her last couple of days, you know, just at home instead of in the hospital, um, which was kind of nice because we did get to go to her house and kind of say our final goodbyes and there wasn't anybody else around and like, so that kind of thing. So we did get to finally do that, but it means it was just, it was awful. Still having like all this stuff is going on and we're still like having to live this lie that we've been yeah. living our whole life and we mm-hmm. can't just, she's dying. Can't we just let it go for a second? Like, yeah. Yeah. And you can't, you can't acknowledge it. You can't people at school, you can't tell them. And so they don't understand the level of pain it is to see her pass. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was, that was awful. It wasn't until my junior year. So she'd already been gone for a year plus when I finally told some of my closest friends, like what had really happened. And they were like, why didn't you tell us like you were going through all this? And I was like, because I wasn't allowed to. Mm. But at that point, I had kind of been moving away for a little while, and I just started looking to see more things, and so I felt more comfortable telling some of my friends. How did you come out to your dad and your family that you no longer believed in the church, that you wanted to experience something else? And how old were you when that happened? That was rough. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I was a senior in high school, so I, was, I think I was 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I told my mom first alone because I felt like that would, that was the easier person to tell. Um, so I told her that I had been like going to seminary with my friends and stuff like that. Um, so I was like, I'm doing this. I'm kind of interested in the Mormon church a little bit. And she, she really, she was supportive because I, think what happened is I had to have a paper sign saying I was allowed to go to this class and I had oh, been going and I didn't yeah. have the paper sign. Yeah, it's pretty so, easy to forge signatures. 
sign. <laughs> sure, yeah. you probably see that with your students signing their own all the time. <laughs> so she definitely like she. I don't remember a big reaction from her at all. She was like, "Okay." And she grew up it right, and so mm-hmm. it wasn't. And it wasn't doctrinally. It's not like this huge leap from you know, AUB to Mormonism, it's all kind of came from the same spot. Yeah, it's all very, very similar. So she was not opposed at all. The harder one was my dad. (laughs) Well, I saw this down the wrong too. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, right in the microphone. (laughs) Maybe I'll edit it out. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll keep it. (laughs) Um, He was the harder one because first I told him that like I was going to seminary. And he was like, okay, well, that's good. Because he was like, it's a church class. You're learning very similar things. So he was like, okay, that's excellent. Like, you're still doing churchy things. Because we'd kind of stopped at that point. And then I was like, I want to, like, join the Mormon church. And I had, by the time I told my dad, I had already started, like, seeing missionaries and stuff. Like, I was already on the path. Like, I was pretty far before. I have a question about that. Because I do believe in the mainstream Mormon church. They are not allowed to teach polygamists. Is that right? Or is that, am I getting this wrong? Because I know there were like certain groups of people they weren't allowed to teach. And that was like people who were affiliated with um, the polygamous uh, organizations and uh, their children, I believe. So I don't know. Yeah. Am I right? <laughs> am I right? Or is it a rumor? They could still talk to me. But there was a much lengthier process than there would have been for a, a person who wasn't in that group yeah. to join the church. And right. So it was much lengthier. But all of my extended family is LDS okay. because that's my parents grew up. So I ended up doing the missionary lessons like at my aunt and uncle's house. Mm-hmm. And so like, it was a very comfortable setting. But then I did have to do like meetings with the state president. And then I eventually did also have to do a meeting with um, one of the the 12 apostles like at the Salt Lake main office oh wow yeah I had to do an interview well, with them special you're sort of VIP okay <laughs> yeah a little did bit kind of cool <laughs> I did at the time yes <laughs> um yeah yeah so guys I, just so I, you know apostles are like they're like the top dogs of the church you go prophet 12 apostles quorum of the 70 got like area I don't know I don't know all the breakdown but they're up there they're right below the the prophet so yeah Mm -hmm. I mean it was a big deal (laughs) because like my uncle and my cousins they like came too and like after the interview they were like can we meet him too like oh I mean so it was like meeting a celebrity yeah that's that's how it (laughs) seemed so of course I was like shaking in my boots I was so nervous but you remember which apostle yeah, it was um, Elder Christopherson. Wow, one of the newerish yeah. ones. I see, yeah. seems like he's a new one to me, but I don't know. I guess that was like a <laughs> lot of years ago, so maybe not that new. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I did have to. I guess I had to take more more steps to get there than most people, and they did highly recommend that I move out when I joined the church instead of staying well, in my how old you at this point so I started the lessons I started when I was 17 I think 
but I didn't get baptized until after I graduated high school. So I was 18 by the time I like actually got baptized and I just graduated high school. Like it was within a week of graduation that I got baptized. So it was, yeah, very close. Okay. So you were 18 then Uh and you were living at home. So did you move out? Yeah, I actually moved into my grandma's basement. Okay. Um, and your grandma was Mormon. Yes, yes. And she had a basement that I could live in, you know, bedrooms and stuff. And so. And she was probably then, elated. I'm yes. assuming that you're joining the Mormon, you're back to the Mormon church. So I'm, I'm sure that was like exciting. Yes, yes. She was super excited. And so she was happy to let me live there. And I lived there for almost a year before I moved into like student housing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So it was a little bit of a bigger deal probably once you joined for your dad then. Yeah. So my but you dad, weren't kicked out. You weren't like exiled from the community. No, not particularly. I mean, I didn't try to go back to see what would happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, or really, I mean, really talk to anybody um, other than other people who had left as well. Um, but he he had a really hard time with it, and he was the thing the word the line that he used, and that's like it still is like in my head is how do you think your other mom would feel about this? Like, do you not love her because she was gone? So I mean, it one hundred percent a guilt trip. Like that was to make yeah. me feel bad mm-hmm. about her, and I was like, well, I still love her and care about her. I just don't want to live in that same way. Yeah kind of thing um and then he gave me some book I don't remember what book but some book that talked about polygamy and whatnot um to read to make sure I knew what I was Mm -hmm. doing or whatever I don't think I ever read it but (laughs) um yeah like I'm done with learning about this I'm done with the indoctrination (laughs) right exactly so that one was a little bit harder because it was just more of a a guilt trip Mm -hmm type of situation so yeah yeah and so then once you left your siblings were still with your with your mom and with your dad and then mm-hmm. what then it's so if you were 18 that's been to eight six years later then your mom kind of joins you yeah I mean she hadn't been going to the church in a while mm-hmm. she hadn't really been practicing so yeah, at, at that point she was just kind of all the way done, I think. And, and then did your siblings bounce too? Or are they still in it? Yeah, they've all bounced. Okay. <laughs> all <of them>. <laughs> so <laughs> your dad's but, like in this community by himself now. Yep. Well, we don't believe he's by himself, but we don't okay. have evidence that he's not by himself. Okay. Because he, sure. will he not talk to you now at this point because you guys all left? Um. It's more the other way around. Most okay. of us won't talk to him anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you you don't know then if he's remarried or? No, not for sure. I mean, we have suspicions, but because yeah. I mean, that's why he wanted to leave my mom is because he wanted to marry. Yeah. That's what he said. He wanted to be able to marry another woman. So that makes oh. us think there was somebody lined up that he was thinking about, mm-hmm. but we don't know for sure. So, so, but an AUB, it's less, less arranged marriage and more like you're, you get, you have a choice and you get a select. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. a little bit more, that's another way it differs from like the FLDS where I think it's more assigned and you do it very, very young. Um, 
it is a little bit more like I think your parents can kind of suggest things, but it's a little bit more along the lines of like the LDS where you kind of can date a little bit and that sort of thing and kind of see how it works um, with that person. Um, yeah, it's a little bit more standard. You don't, yeah. you're not really forced to marry anybody, at least nobody that I know of was ever forced. So then, okay, so then you join the LDS church. So you go from maybe an extreme religion, as some might think, to a little bit less of an extreme religion, but it's still mm-hmm. kind of extreme in comparison to, you know, I don't know, non-denominational Christian or something. <laughs> like a yeah. little more, a little more black and white, you know, compared to a, a lot of yeah. uh, other religions. And, but it probably, you probably felt like you had a little more freedom maybe in that because you could, you didn't have to share your man. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot more freedom. I didn't have to worry about sharing my man. I didn't have to worry about the pressure of needing to wear long sleeve clothes as I get older. I was allowed to pierce my ears. I couldn't have my ears pierced as a kid in the AUB, no piercings, whereas the Mormon church says one you know, piercing. Yeah. Um, so I finally got my ears pierced at 18. Yeah. Um, um, so I had, I did have a little bit more freedom and I felt like I could do more. It was, yeah, it was very, I guess, liberating at the time. And then you, so you get married and you marry a Mormon guy. Uh, yes, he, he was Mormon. He wasn't, very active at the time so we got married civilly originally and then we did get sealed um Mm -hmm. a year later Mm -hmm. and you had one child you had a child with him right yes yes okay my daughter and then that didn't work out and then you ended up at that point did you leave the LDS church after that or how did that because I think the progression of going from one one religion to another religion and out of that religion into whatever you practice now. I think that's really interesting. I'm curious, like your motivation for that transition out of the LDS church. Well, it was always, it was always a little rocky. Like I would be active for six to nine months and I kind of go a little bit inactive. And then I'd try really hard again because I felt like that's what I was supposed to be doing. But it was really hard, especially at first because, I was a convert, which is kind of a little bit more rare in Utah because everybody's already a member. I had met with Elder Christofferson, so I was like, it was like a big deal. And so I felt like a lot more pressure than maybe uh, maybe everybody feels this way. But I felt a lot of pressure. Like I had to do a talk at the Christmas program or I was asked to do a talk and I wouldn't say no, of course. And like, yeah, you're not supposed to say no, you know, you got to say yes to everything. That's your duty. Exactly. And so I just felt like I was like, almost put on this pedestal because I was a convert. And I always had all this pressure to be perfect and to give talks and all this stuff. And I, I didn't want to, I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of always went back and forth a little bit because I just I didn't, I didn't like that. I was not comfortable with it. Um, I didn't want all the attention on me. I mean, we talked about earlier how I don't like being in groups of more than like three or four people. So giving a church talk is the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it would be a talk basically that you go up and you sort of preach in front of an entire congregation for like 15 minutes. Yes. For those who don't know, because, you know, we speak the lingo, you know, these other people. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I just, I was always a little bit uncomfortable in that sense. Um, I did try like singles wards out where they have, you know, all the singles together and you do 
activities with other people who are single. And I just tried all of those things out. Um, but it was always a little rocky. But then when no. I, which by the way, left- when I was, when I was Mormon, I love the singles ward because there were so many boys, you know, and <laughs> Mormons, I will say they have some fun. They really do have a lot of fun. There's a lot of things I actually kind of miss. And one is that the singles ward activities, the congregation that all the single people, 18 to 30 years old would attend. They always had the best activities. They were really cheesy and never involved drinking or, you know, any other, any substances. So it, so they were really cheesy, but they were a blast and it, they were really social. I had a lot of fun. Um, I didn't always fit in always, but mm-hmm. it's still like we would pl- play hungry hippo in the church gymnasium. <laughs> Adults, <laughs> like you have a bunch of like, you know, 25 year olds on their bellies on these like rolling, I don't know what, and then on these dollies. And then you're like trying to catch a bunch of, and I, and you just look around you're like, we are science, we are adults and none of us are intoxicated and we're doing this on a Friday night. <laughs> so I kind of missed some of that. Yeah. Like, I, I, that. That stuff was fun, but my husband hated it. My husband absolutely hated going to the singles ward. So everyone had different experiences. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I enjoyed some of that too, to an extent, but then again, I don't love huge groups of people. So it wasn't a great social thing for me necessarily. Yeah. Um, But then I, you know, I met my husband while I was in college, my Mm ex-husband. Um, we got married we got sealed a year after we got married. Um, and he got into drugs. He was into drugs before we got sealed. I'm pretty sure. Um, and so that's when I left him and I was 10 weeks pregnant with his kid. Um, oh my God. Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine. Yep. I have heard stories of people, you know, getting divorced while pregnant and like that. Oh, cause the hormones are already high. I mean, I just bawled uh-huh. my entire pregnancy and I'm like really angry mm-hmm. the whole time. And so I can't imagine that emotional toll that must've taken on you. That must've been so yeah. scary. It was, it was terrifying. Um, I didn't like it, but I also just, I wasn't willing to put at that point, I wasn't, I still really cared about him, but, and if I wasn't pregnant, I probably would have stayed with him and tried to like help him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't willing to put a child no. through that. Mm-hmm. And I just, I wouldn't do it, especially as like a teacher. I had seen kids who had had parents who had died of overdose or yeah. gotten arrested. And then I was like, I can't do that to my own child. Good so. for you. That good for you. That is such a hard decision, especially in that state. But it sounds like you made the right decision, and oh, yeah. that would have been 100%. that would have been such a difficult decision to make. Yeah, it was a job. Was oh, you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, but that was that was also all of that. I'm pregnant. I'm trying to go to church, but like I'm a young single woman going to a family ward because I'm pregnant, so I don't fit in in the singles ward anymore. I don't fit in in the family ward because I'm like, I was like 23. I'm 23 mm. and pregnant and I'm at the family's ward, family ward alone. Like, I just, I yeah. So the family ward, explain to all you outsiders. The family <laughs> ward is basically the congregation where people with families or over 30 attend. And it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot of old people or young families. Um, and, it it would have been an awkward place for a 23 year old single woman 
who's also pregnant. It would just, it would have, it's just an awkward, con- it's an awkward combination for sure. But also you don't want to go where all the single people are. Everyone's a bunch of horn dogs and trying to get married. And then they're like, what about you? You're like, Oh, I'm, I'm pregnant. Um, <laughs> I don't know. This is how we should start off a relationship. That might be a difficult, <laughs> a difficult sell there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think also uh, the other hard part with all that too, is people, a lot of people just assumed that I had gotten pregnant out of wedlock, which is a huge no-no to have any sort of sex out of wedlock, right? Oh, I didn't so, think about that. You're so right. Yeah. That's what I would have been like, pregnant girl, what'd you do? Did you talk to your bishop? <laughs> right, exactly. And so that it was also like kind of awkward in that sense too, mm-hmm. whereas like, I, I promise you, I was married when I got knocked up. Yeah. But <laughs> situation complicated. That's for sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was kind of like the beginning of leaving. And then I, you know, I thought back to like, I looked back through pictures and I could start seeing where my ex started getting like the scabs from the picking from the drugs. So it started getting bad. Okay. mm -hmm. But I could see the scabs starting before we even got sealed. And that was a hard thing for me because I was like, okay, there's all these prophets or people who stake presidency people who interviewed Mm -hmm. him Mm -hmm. saying he was ready to get sealed supposedly but he was on drugs like yeah you can see the scabs on his face and pictures around that same time and so so just also i'll explain the terminology seal for everybody else so seal a ceiling is um if you are well everyone gets sealed if they go through the temple but basically it's getting married in the eyes of god so you, it's like making it legal in the church. So you can get married outside of the church, um, at a courthouse, or just a regular whatever. You can get married legally, but the church doesn't recognize it as a basically a real. You, you need that religious ceremony to make it kind of valid in, within the church. And often, if you have a civil wedding, you have to wait an entire year before they'll allow you to be sealed to make it that religious ceremony and to have it on the church records as you are officially spiritually married. So did you guys have to wait a year to get sealed? Yeah, we we got sealed on our one year anniversary. So yeah, we had to wait a year. And in order to like get into the temple, you have to pass all these interviews, right? And so yes, you have to be worthy, worthy to go through. You have a million questions you have to answer. In order, you have to be super righteous in order to go through the temple, basically. Right. Yeah. Super righteous. Yes, you got to be super righteous. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's where. That's where it's complicated. Having, <laughs> yeah. Right, and that's where I started having the problem because I was like, you went through all these interviews with him, and you guys are supposed to have this revelation from God or whatever. How in the world did he pass all of these interviews when he was already doing all these things that were not okay? Um, oh girl yeah that's you so you started questioning some authority you're like aren't you supposed to uh (laughs) you're supposed to have the spirit and it should have raised that red flag when he (laughs) walked in and if you couldn't visually see the scabs all over him I mean something should have told you yeah this guy's on drugs this guy's not quote-unquote worthy to go through to go through the temple and to be sealed right yeah because drugs is a no-no you can't be on drugs if you're in the temple big no-no yeah. So that was like one big thing that stopped that kind of started me leaving that and just the awkwardness of it. And then I talked to my bishop about getting my temple ceiling like 
doing like the temple divorce or whatever. So that I was no longer sealed. Oh, that's hard. Oh, oh, I know where this is going. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) So, and I was told, and this was, this was the end for me, basically. I was told that I could not get divorced from him until I'm ready to marry another man in the temple because I cannot get to the highest kingdom or whatever in heaven. Um, unless I'm sealed. So I'm sealed to this other guy. I need to stay sealed to him until I'm ready to get sealed to somebody else. And I was like, that's bull. Yeah. Like you cannot tell me that I have to stay married in your eyes to a mess head so that I can go to like, there's no way. Yeah. So you, you civilly, right. So you civilly divorced him. Yeah. It's just that the church would not cancel or divorce you from him spiritually in case one of you dies um, in the meantime, before you g- either of you get married to another partner spiritually, in case one and one of you dies um, before that can happen, then you're not going to go to the highest kingdom in heaven because you are, you have in order to get to the highest kingdom, you have to be married spiritually sealed. You have to be sealed. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. (laughs) Yep. And that, that I think was, that was kind of it for me. I was like, there, there's just no way that God would want me to still be married to this person. Like, there's just no way he was awful to me. He was doing drugs. I mean, there's, so I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. And so that was kind of the final straw. Yes. And I also will add that in the temple, and I don't know if this crossed your mind because I thought it was this is where it was going, but maybe not. A man um, can be sealed to more than one wife in the mainstream Mormon yeah. church. This always made me crazy, but I always kind of, when I was in it, I was always like, there's a plan, there's a plan, there's a plan, it's all going to work out, it's all going to work out, which I would tell myself about all this stuff I ha- like made me crazy in the church, right? I'm like, it's all going to work out. <laughs> all this so Basically, a man can be sealed to more than one wife, which means he's a polygamist in heaven, which means you're back to polygamy. Okay, there you go. So he could go and marry four other wives. Um, One could die. He's still sealed to that woman who died. And so then he marries somebody else and is sealed to her. And he also had divorced you. So he's now married to spiritually to three people, even though civilly he's not married to three people anymore. So when he dies and everybody goes to heaven, he now has three wives on the other side, even though one of his wives did not want to be with him on earth. And one of his wives passed. And then one of his wives is probably like, I don't want to be married to you and two other women in heaven. But anyway, mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. that would always make my blood boil when I had friends going through divorces and they're like, they won't let me divorce him like spiritually. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if someone gets remarried, they are also not allowed to, um, spiritually divorced still. So they they have to get special permission to get that divorce and then to marry their new husband in the temple. So, right. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not trying to offend anybody who might be practicing. It's just, these are just, these are just, the, these are just facts. Like this is really, this is, these are just facts we're laying out. These aren't like anti, yeah. you know, people just get scared when it's anything that doesn't paint things in a good light for the church. But I mean, these are just, these are just facts. These aren't like, crazy look it up anywhere i mean it's when you're yeah yeah, this is just facts so okay yeah (laughs) okay so this (laughs) this made this this was not cool with you this is not cool Mm -hmm. you this guy you were done with you had to stay spiritually married you felt like god was like no you no matter what you're stuck together 
until you find a man to rescue you from from him, basically. Yeah. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yep, that was it. Like I was done. I didn't continue going. Uh, I stopped wearing the garments. Like I was just, yeah, that was it. I was done with it because I wasn't, I just, uh, there's no way. I could not believe that that was something that God would really want for me. Yeah. So I just. Yeah. I know, yeah, totally. Um, and so then from there until now, how how did you meet your now husband? Um, get now you're like a career woman. You teach fifth grade. You're kind of like you. It feels like it's a big leap from sort of your upbringing to where you are now. Yeah, um, it is a little bit. It's a lot different. Um, yeah, I met my current husband. I actually his, his story is a whole <laughs> a whole mess, but. Um, We've been together for several years. We got married just over a year ago. Um, so, and that's been great. And I've been teaching this in my sixth year. Um, religiously speaking, like I, I do still believe there's a God or some sort of higher power. Most people just give them the name God. Yeah. I don't practice any official religion. I've tried a couple like evangelical Christian churches or different things. Um, and I just haven't stuck with anything because I just I have a hard time with like there being something I have to go do every single Sunday I just I don't yeah. want to so I, I just yeah. Don't. yeah so I still believe that there is a god of some sort but um I don't practice anything officially yeah. so well I do think so this is what I find after kind of taking my own journey also it's like once you have something broken down so much that you believed 100 percent in it's really hard to find something that you're willing to put that much faith in again because you thought you had it all figured out you know like you thought that like everything you know so it's hard that that's what I have found that it's hard to like trust trust an organization again right and that I think that's definitely like you hit it spot on because that's how I feel it's hard for me to want to contribute fully when I kind of feel like I especially with the Mormon church I kind of felt like I didn't I wasn't told everything the whole story when I started almost because like I didn't know about what would happen if I were to get divorced or Mm -hmm. you know I didn't know all these things and so I kind of felt like I don't want to go through this again with another religion where I start out thinking it's really great. And then it just doesn't like, I don't want to just keep going in and out. Yeah. And then you hear so, about like the crazy history all of a sudden that was being covered up <laughs> in another religion. You're like, Oh, okay. It's all, it's everything. It's really true. Like, I mean, I, I think it's not just Mormonism. It's not just, um, AUB. It's not just, I mean, it's, it seems like every organized religion, if you dive into it and the history of it there's some shady sad horrible stuff you know so it it is hard to kind of hang my hat on any of them at this point I'm on a total journey and it's you know kind of exhausting (laughs) but but there's a lot of dark history uh from from a lot of religions but you know I want there to be one you know one true one yeah maybe maybe also it's okay if it's not Right. And that's kind of how I feel. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, do I, do I have to have a religion to believe in God or to like 
have my own relationship with God. I don't feel like I have to have an organized religion to have that. And so I'm satisfied and I'm happy just not having that organized religion and just doing my own thing. And you know, the times Mm -hmm. I have felt most connected is when I am alone, no, no noise from like any really, like any organization telling me how to do or what to do. It's just me alone meditating. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you met your husband and then, and then, and we're pregnant with number two. So (laughs) I'm a little girl. So we're excited. How old's your first? She's three. She's doing oh my god, so, so exciting! Yeah, so she's gonna have a little sister in May. <gasps> Congratulations! So, just the last thing is, I want to know what what do you hope people will gain from your story? Um, I think that, like, I guess the two biggest things is I I hope that other women in similar situations can get themselves out, um, or young men too. I guess before they've gotten to the point where they're so indoctrinated that 12 lives. But, um, and I also just feel like being very welcoming to the community. I think it's really hard when polygamists are so kind of frowned upon and kind of made fun of behind closed doors. Like I still hear people today make jokes about polygamists and stuff. And so it's kind of, if people are, people aren't very welcoming to them. I mean, I think they're kind to them when they see them at work or whatever, but they know that they like different. And so I think it's it's harder to leave something like that when you feel like you're not going to be welcomed there. And you're already so suppressed in this other religion that it's already hard to leave. And if you don't feel like you're going to have somebody looking out for you or somebody there to help you, you're not, you're not going to leave. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's a, a big one. And I feel like I had a group because I was in high school and I had a group of Mormon friends. Like I knew I had people mm-hmm. to support me mm-hmm. through it, but I don't think that every polygamist does feel that way. Yeah. And it, and also I think there can be some shame around it. Like you said, you know, for people, I mean, even you coming out, I know you had said you don't really share your story a lot because it's, you don't know how people will take it. And how do you feel like people will take it when they hear that this is a life, a lifestyle that you were raised in? Uh, it still makes me nervous. Like, I I mean, it makes me nervous all the time to even say anything. And I, I don't often unless somehow it just comes up. But um, and like, it makes me a little nervous even like doing this, like, will parents of my students hear this and like, think negatively on me and like, not want to be in my class or something like, and I'm probably yeah. overthinking it, but like, I, I mean, it does make me nervous. And it, a large part of it is being told for so many years not to say anything. I yeah. Think. So it still makes me nervous even now, even though I've been out of it for eight years. Yeah. And you're worried maybe what people will, will think of you, but I honestly, I feel like your story, so much of it, I think makes, makes up like, your character part of part of your character I mean it was your upbringing and I I think that same way about how I was raised as well I wouldn't change it for anything because I gained a lot from it and I feel like I'm stronger Mm -hmm. for it and I think your story is the strength that you had to have to go from 
being in kind of an extreme religion and to coming, coming out of it and coming out a winner. Cause I mean, you're living the way you're living your life. Like you have so much going for you and you're doing well, like you're doing very well in life. And so I think you should be proud of how you were raised. You know, I I think, I think you should be proud of where you came from and where you are now. And if people want to judge you negatively for it, you can can have them talk to me. I'll mess them up. (laughs) Just kidding. There you go. (laughs) But I will talk to them. (laughs) There you go. You know, but, but I, I, I just, I don't want you to ever feel ashamed of your story because your story is special and it's unique and it's part of what makes up who Sarah is. And just, and I love that you're owning, I love like right now you're owning your story. And I just, I hope that brings some kind of empowerment to you. It does. It was, I was very nervous before and I'm actually feeling really good now. So you should, your story is incredible and and you're incredible. So thank you so much. And I also want to remind everybody something that you said, and you said to me on the phone too, is like the amount of loneliness that comes from that. And to keep that in mind, you never know who you're sitting next to at school or who your coworker is or who the family is down the street. And someone might be different from you, but you can still be their friend and you can still include them and be inclusive, invite them on a play date, invite them on, you know, you can still include the people who are around you because you just don't know what somebody is going through. And I just, that inclusivity of the loneliness, your mom experienced the loneliness you experienced by not being able to be your true self. If you had felt you finally had those real friends that you felt like you could be open to about. And I'm sure that was some kind of relief for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think more people would leave if they, they didn't feel that way. Yeah. They felt like there was a, you're so right. If they felt like I will still have a community if I leave, I can still find a community if I leave. I'm not going to be judged from the way I was raised. I'm sure that's so scary for so many. I know even just with the Mormon church, even though it's so mainstream, there are people who are so scared and I'm not encouraging anybody, anything going to come at me, but I'm just saying there's some people who won't leave because even though they don't believe it, they're just, I don't want to be alienated from my friends. I don't want, I don't know how else to make friends outside of the church. I don't know how to build a community unless I'm going and in this, like in this really tight knit community, I don't know how else Mm -hmm. to be on the, in the outside world. And I know that's a big fear people have from not just your experience, but from, or not, and not just the Mormon religion, but coming from any group that they feel a pull that they need to exit, then mm-hmm. they're scared of what's on the other side. And there's hope because you're, you're like living proof that there is hope. <laughs> so yeah, it takes a little bit of work. But yeah. There is. <laughs> no. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on. Mm-hmm. And I really Welcome. appreciate you. You were awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome.